Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. <laughs> there and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. I'm Kellen Olson, not joined as always by Kevin Zerman. If you missed last episode, Kevin is taking two weeks off. He will not be on the pod for the next two weeks, which is pretty much the next two, the next round, I should say, this whole Dallas series. We'll see how long this one takes, but for now, I'll be having some guests fill in and you know where I'm going to go first with that in mind. It's Mike V. Hill, it's Sam Cooper of the Timeline podcast. We're here to talk about game one of the second round against Dallas and looking ahead to game two. Mike, what's up? How are you? Hey, Kellen. Thanks for having us on. Of course, man. Sam, how are you? What's up, boss? Glad to be back. Ha- Hello. No man 99 on the end of that. That's someone else. I'm just I'm just <laughs> boss around here. So the True. Suns won 121 to 114. That is not a score that accurately portrays how this game went. The Suns led the entire way. There was this little mini rally that Dallas had in the second quarter, and then Chris Paul did a Chris Paul thing for four minutes, and then it was a 13-point lead that got to 21 in the fourth. Dallas made a run uh, in the last, like, three minutes of the game that was a lot of the talking point around this game for whatever reason, a lot of questions being asked about it after and then at practice today and then just on Twitter in general. Um, I didn't really have a reaction to it overall. We can get get into that in a bit, but just where I want to start, with you guys, Mike and Sam, is that Kevin and I have spent every game one win they've had because they've won every game one of the series now, kind of looking at it and comparing it and saying like, okay, how does it feel compared to this series to that series? After the Pelicans one, we said it felt more like the Clippers series than the the Nuggets series, and we'll see. But we actually compared this series to the Nuggets series before game one and after game one, especially with the way Dallas played defensively, in my opinion, it really reminds me of the Denver series. Now, I don't know if it's going to be a sweep, five games, six games, I don't know, but the functionality of Dallas just looked off while the Suns were able to do whatever they wanted. Uh, Mike, how did you just feel about how it looks for the Suns after one game? Um, well, first off, Kellen, you were at the game, right? Yep. Okay, so I think one of the reasons it was a major talking point after the game, the rally that Dallas had is Reggie Miller kept saying that <laughs> Jason Kidd should show the last four minutes of the game in practice to the rest of the Mavs. <laughs> team to to really get them prepared and he kept saying it like he was really hammering that point home about the last four minutes of the game was like some sort of break like like it was some sort of breakthrough for the Mavs which I don't necessarily think is true although I think we will talk about that lineup later but I think comparing it I think comparing it to the Nuggets series is interesting you know that Nuggets series as confident as I was going into it I don't think I predicted a sweep and I don't know that anyone did so that type of thing I wouldn't do and you know I don't know that I felt that way after game 1 of the Nuggets series as well but in my mind comparing it to even game 1 of the Pelican series is actually kind of interesting because even in game 1 of the Pelican series the Suns kind of it was kind of a fake close game at the end of that game too if you remember how that game ended yep but I think the biggest difference is the the Suns didn't really look like the Suns for the entirety of that series. And they look like the Suns in, in this game, the Suns that we saw all season. The Pelicans were really a team that was sort of put together in a way that takes advantage of a lot of the Suns' weaknesses, uh, whether it be 
size, you know, rebounding and getting to the free throw line, stuff like that. Dallas doesn't really do any of those things, right? They, they sort of play almost similarly to the Suns, although it's so heliocentric, so designed around one singular player. Uh, so the way they defended the Suns, I felt like, just as you said, they were really able to get everything. They just look like themselves again. It, it, it must have felt great to see the shots go in and to see the ball moving the way it was and not have to battle on the boards every single time a shot went up. And, and I think because of those things, it was just nice to see them again. And for that reason, I'd, I'd say that it's definitely closer to the Nuggets series. To your last point, Mike, it was hilarious watching Dallas miss a shot and then expecting like three white jerseys to come swarming in. And then like, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's that's only like three teams in the league that do that. New Orleans is one of them. Sam, let me give you my big brain theory. Are you ready? Are you guys bracing for it? Here we mm. go. Go for I it. I think that this game one I have no idea what's going to happen in game two because I think game one was mostly just about the series these two teams had before this series and what I mean by that is Dallas played a terrible just like a bad Utah defense their their point of attack defense their perimeter defense was terrible and then once they were able to spread out Gobert with five out at the end of games you get Kleba hitting hitting eight threes all that kind of stuff just terrible and I think that they were able to get a lot more of what they wanted to get done against a pretty bad defense. And when they went from a bad defense to arguably the best defense in the league, I think they got caught off guard. And for the Suns offensively, they were playing a Pelicans team that just knows their plays because they run the same plays. Dallas does not know their plays. So they were just really able to run a lot of their stuff. And it was just very basic lobs to Aiden, swing to this corner. I thought it was really easy for them to get that done. And so for me, Sam, I'm not overreacting too much into game one, but in terms of the matchup, that's where my theory is right now that the way that these two teams were forced to play in their last respective series kind of threw off the Mavs and then greatly benefited the Suns. You're always uh, such a great diplomat, Kellen, talking there about how you're not reading too much into game one, but at the same time, comparing this to the Nuggets series (laughs) in terms of functionality, where there's, there's really just, I agree with you, by the way, on that former point that it does feel like that, uh, that series a little bit, where there's just such a heliocentric approach and one guy and, and, you know, can there be anyone else on the roster effectively who steps up, you know, you talk about not having the Willie green advantage, right. And it's true that coach kid doesn't have the Willie green advantage. He doesn't intimately know he's not intimately familiar with the sun's plays on the same side of things though. I thought it was kind of interesting. Like the very first two possessions of this game, were the two teams going back and forth with their own variations on a stack pick and roll, a Spain pick and roll. And Phoenix was able to snuff that that stuff out. I realize I'm not allowed to curse on this. Great uh, was, job. Was Very it, proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so I'm, good. I'm learning. I'm learning. Uh, <laughs> Phoenix was able to snuff that out instantly. Dallas um, immediately broke down. And I believe on that very first play of the quarter, it was it was a wide open Chris Paul mid range. But the Suns continue yeah. to run their stuff. That that's that is a play that if you're preparing yourself to play the Phoenix Suns, you should know. <laughs> that they're going to run it a few times throughout the game to gradually build rhythm in the game. Um, and especially you should be better prepared if you're Dallas because it's one of your own sets as well. You should be prepared in, in terms of how to defend that. And then knowing that if you get to a close fourth quarter scenario, that's going to be one of their principal sets that you need to be prepared to defend pretty much every time because if they see that you're breaking down, they're going to run it over and over and over again until you can find a way to stop them. So very much... You know, we know the personnel is different between these two teams, right? But we also always kind of knew that execution is where the suns shine. 
maybe not so much in-game adjustments on Monty's part, but his preparedness has always been elite. And yeah, I mean, I, I think you touched on that too. Just game one, the Suns broke down the door and were an extra level of prepared against Dallas that we'll see how that momentum continues uh, as we go throughout the series. Yeah, and to points that both of you made in terms of how the Pelican series was, the thing that Kevin and I kept talking about, I think after like game four, we were basically like, okay, look outside of Mikel, Chris, DeAndre, and Devin. JaVale had that really big game three, but did anyone else play just above average for what we expect out of them for one of those four games? Like Jay in game one, maybe he had the quadruple single, but he was really good off defensively. I, I don't know. And, and to go to this game, where almost everyone played well. There was the Tory Craig miss one shot, you're out of the game forever <laughs> moment, which Mike really enjoyed and I really enjoyed as well. I thought Shamit's defense was great. We saw more of a campaign we've come to expect. Javel was rough defensively, which we'll talk about in a bit, I'm sure. But I-, I thought offensively and around the basket, he was giving them a little bit of something. I just thought they got way more overall contributions than we're, we were used to seeing in the Pelican series, which is more what we were used to seeing from the team all year. And then you look at Dallas, Luca had 45. Kleba hit five threes. I think you could make a case that Dorian Finney-Smith was okay. And then that's it. Everyone else just didn't play well. So just to go from the schematic sense to just of more the talent sense, Mike, this is a clear mismatch in terms of depth. Yeah. I think that the Mavs actually shot pretty well. And, and, you know, as much as I think Dinwiddie and Brunson, I think were the standouts as far as players who just very obviously – uh, didn't play very well, but even looking outside of that, they hit quite a bit of threes and they were getting relatively good shots. I think the Suns, Suns did a good job of rotating, Xing out outside of Kleba. Uh, <laughs> he was kind of wide open every time he shot, but they did shoot pretty well. So if you're looking at sort of the game plan for the Mavericks, I think, you know, they probably would hope that if they hit that many threes in a the game, they would be a little bit closer. I think the, the what you said about Utah is particularly interesting because Jalen Brunson averaged 28 points per game in that series. That's insane. 28 points per game. And, you know, they were just kind of letting him run by them as that first line of defense. And then of course, when they spread it five out, you have Rudy Gobert going two different directions on defense. And I think for, for the Suns, they obviously have much, 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 much better perimeter defense, even with Devin Booker, who's clearly uh, very much improved defender and his reputation is now catching up with that. Thanks to Rudy Gobert, to be honest. And I think that really the bellwether for them, what's going to matter for them. I think Luca will probably continue to play well. He has thigh wrapped after I think he got a knee in the thigh From in Jibale, the game, yeah. but I think Luca will probably just play well in every single game, at least stats wise, but how the other guys do not to get to Shaquille O'Neal with my analysis here, but Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, they're, what, who's the second best player in the Suns? Chris Paul? <laughs> like, if there's a massive yeah. difference yeah. there. And then you have DeAndre, and who's just been the most consistent offensive player in the playoffs, essentially, for any team outside of one game where he just had six shots. You know, and, and it's just, you're right. The talent disadvantage for the Mavs is, is pretty is pretty massive. And I think defensively the Suns are just much better suited to defend them than they are to defend the Suns. To make a point that Kevin would, if he was here, he's always talked about how he felt like the Suns are a little bit short athletically in terms of like high tier athleticism. Brunson and Doncic are not two guys that get by on high end athleticism. So I think 
that you look at like the Suns' strengths, like defensively, you need someone with like size, burst, strength, like all those kinds of qualities to really affect them defensively. And neither of those of those guys have it. Like if we're looking into future series and going on, like we're talking about obviously guys that out east like Giannis and such and like Tatum and Brown, but then you look at Jaw potentially from Memphis as well. Mm-hmm. Like the the amount of speed. There's no speed like that on this team. Sam, I'll just like ask you simply like what do you think of the way Luca played? Because I think there are like multiple ways to interpret his amazing sat line. But just how do you think he played? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought Luca played phenomenally well. Um, he continues to be so difficult to contain. Um, I, I think it was the fact that as the game went on, the Suns were more and more interested on, in bringing more help on him. So yes, they would concede the initial switch, but Mikhail Bridges would always be lurking in the background. They would try to double. Obviously, what makes Luca so challenging is that um, he can see over the top of those defenders pretty easily, even if it's Cam Johnson or Mikhail Bridges. It doesn't matter. And I think this was actually one of the quotes I saw from you and asking Monty Williams about it as they prepare for game two. He's he's a god. He's he's a forward <laughs> struggling every time. This is going to be a running thing. Um, but he's he's just so big that he's able to make those passes to corner shooters that other guys just cannot make. It's one of the reasons yeah. he's he's been such an exceptional was initially such a highly touted prospect and now is such an exceptional player um, at the NBA level. But as the game went on, the flip side of all this, yes, he played phenomenally well. Man, he looked gassed in the fourth quarter. And I know they made a run, but 44 minutes, you could tell that it was a defensive matchup that the Suns really, really like. And they are going to continue to pick on him, especially if uh, you said, uh, Mike, you were the one who said this, that uh, rap was on his knee, did you mm-hmm. say? No, on his thigh. Or on his thigh, on his Left thigh, thigh, especially. Yeah. yeah. Especially if they if they feel that weakness there in game two. I don't know if they will, but if there's anything we know about the Suns and Chris Paul, they are ruthless. And if they smell blood in the water, they are going to attack you over and over again. And obviously, you know, Luca, for better or worse, he's going to play throughout this entire series. Even if he gets some bumps and bruises, he's playing 44, 46 minutes for Dallas. Uh, you know, they're going to live and die by him. So offensively, he was phenomenal. I think he's going to continue to go off, quite frankly. That's not necessarily enough to win games in the series, though. I want to, Kellen, can I ask you, and Sam, too, if you have an opinion on this, who's a better off-the-ball player, Luka Doncic or Chris Paul? That's a great question. I don't think we've seen Luka enough in that role to even, like, really evaluate him, right? At least, And and why, though, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, Chris, the thing about Chris is that he's – always seven steps ahead of the game. So if you give him time off the ball to like really take in what's happening, he's going to make the right decision a hundred times out of a hundred. So I think from that perspective, Chris is better. I just think if you look at where the ball typically goes when you're off the ball and like getting in those situations, you want someone with size who can attack the basket and score at the rim. So that's where I would favor Luca. Luca's the better shooter probably, right? I off the ball? I mean, yeah, I'm not sure. So Luca's like, just Luca's just so big. Uh, yeah. Again, I know this is not great analysis, but the thing about Chris, like this, was the first year of his two years in Phoenix where we saw Chris uh, a concerted effort to get him more involved off the ball. Not so much because of an, a specific off-ball gravity that like he provides, 
but more so just to his benefit, right? To preserve him, to allow Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges to bring the ball up the floor. So, okay, Chris, you're going to play off ball. You're going to go stand in this elbow set at the, at, at the elbow and set an off ball screen or something. And then you're going to go collect the, the ball at the top of the key. That's not so much doing anything for anyone else though. You know what I mean? And if, if we just talk about his spot up shooting, like, yes, obviously he can spot up in the corner. He can spot up on the wing. He can make those shots. He's not really bringing a, a tremendous level of gravity to that. So I think Chris has been, doesn't. Yeah. I, I think he's been successful off the ball this year, but I think they've been doing it mostly to preserve him because specifically they want to limit the amount of touches he feels uh, throughout the course of, of game series, uh, the entire season. And they want to preserve him for those fourth quarters when they know they'll need him. Luca. The untapped potential there, if he ever did want to play off the ball, yeah. if you ever really got a second star who you feel good about, and I don't know if that's Brunson or I don't know if it's got to be someone else, but yeah. it really is the issue with Dallas where they are not optimized like Phoenix is to use all of their best players in the same flow of their offensive sets all yeah. at once. That's and exactly, you know, yeah. in, in any given play, it's one guy who's the weapon and a yeah. bunch of guys standing around with their hands on their hips. Yeah. You know, maybe they get the ball, maybe they don't. But it's hard. But yeah, just, yeah. Just to just to answer your question though, again, like the untapped potential with Luca off the ball, definitely huge. I think I've just convinced myself that definitely Luca is the better off ball player if you want it to be. We've well, just never seen it. That's exactly my the point that I'm trying to make because I think both Chris Paul and Luca Doncic are similar in that they're both maximized when they have the ball in their hands, making this the decisions with the ball over and over and over again. But the extent to which we have seen that with Luca is is I mean it's Russell Westbrook esque it's it's James Harden esque it's it's just the ball in his hands constantly on every single possession and I, I do wonder I mean I think it's good for the Suns right now that he hasn't quite tapped into the stuff that Devin Booker does for example off the ball just yet and and you know maybe it's a lack of trust in his teammates maybe it's just coaching. Maybe this is why it's difficult to find a second star next to Luka Doncic, the way it's been difficult to find a second star uh, next to James Harden in the past. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I, I wonder what his utility is off the ball or if this is just what it is. He's just going to have to score 40. And, you know, maybe this is the point you were making, Kellen, when you asked Sam the question the way you asked. How beneficial is it? for the Mavs, for Luka to have to score 45 points in every game against the Suns for them to have a chance. It seems, I don't know. I just don't think it's great. There was some LeBron James finals where the entire series felt like it was just, we're going to dribble the ball. You're going to set a screen here. You're going to set a screen here. Okay, now the guy guarding me is who I want to be guarding, and now I'm just going to attack him. And it felt like that was the entire series. And I was like, if this is playoff basketball for the next 20 years, this is going <laughs> to suck. I'm going to hate watching this. Well, the that's Suns, Kyrie and Love do... were injured, right? That was when Kyrie and Love were injured. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember the specifics, but I just remember hating watching that style of basketball. <laughs> and that is what Dallas does. So to, to make a couple of points there, the first one there is that I just don't think Luka – I don't want to blame it on Luca, but I want to blame it on the way they're playing because the way that they're playing, he's not making anyone better. He's not putting anyone in positions in better positions besides shooting open threes. And that's it, which is still pretty darn good. And it's still going to win you 45, 50 games and still get you a top four seed. Yeah. But I, I don't know how much it's going to help you later on in this. I just have a real problem with the way that they play. And what I wrote in the preview today is that if they're just going to spend most of their offensive possessions mismatch hunting, they're going to be going home in a week. This will be over in four games because the Suns have too good of defense, both on and off the ball to just get beat 
by ISO ball the entire time. It's not going to work. Uh, the other point there that I had was that with Chris and Luca off the ball, we actually saw it last series where when Jay or Mikel was bringing the ball up, Chris was just being Booker in their sets. Like when they typically have those sets run, Chris was just taking the spot of his. Uh, I looked this up while you guys were talking. Luca takes 8.83s a game this regular season. How many catch and shoots do you think he got a game? Mike, go ahead. One and a half. Sam. Man. One? One on the dot. Like, one on the yeah. dot? Nice. nice. One out of 8.83s per That's game. He took, he took 7.6 pull-up threes a game. It's awful. You gotta make it. You got to make it easier on yourself at yeah. a certain point too, man. Because when... It's minute 43, 44 in the, in the game, and we're seeing this guy labor as he's coming down the court. And like, okay, he gets the switch he wants, and now it's DeAndre Ayton guarding him, and he's too tired. He doesn't even want to attack the switch anymore, and he settles for a step back three. It's just like every part of his game, it's so, it's so difficult. They need to find ways to make it easier on him. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much they emphasize this in the game plan, but it felt like after the first two or three possessions, Luca took an 18 footer, took a step back. And then he was like, wait a minute, this is exactly what they want me to do. So now I'll attack. And then it actually felt like the Suns were like, yes, please attack because you're going to be exerting yourself for every dribble drive. And we're going to chest bump you the entire time. And if you make it as far as the rim, there's going to be someone else waiting there, whether it's Crowder or Bridges or it's Aiden or McGee, someone's going to be waiting there and they're going to hit you. And a couple of the clips that I had in a preview are just basically him falling on the ground. Like he took a couple of tough falls in the game and that's going to be the series for him if he's driving like that. So unless he is a nuclear jump shooter in this series, I don't think he's going to be able to have that sort of, otherworldly positive effect on the game that I'm kind of talking about, which is weird because I'm talking about more of like a solo isolation type of basketball, but the drives is where he needs to find his teammates. Like the stuff with the lobs to Powell and, and the actions he had with Clay, but that's kind of the stuff they need to run more for their other guys. But I don't know if they do Mike, like, I don't know if they run that stuff. I haven't seen it. Yeah. They, I think they had maybe one or two lobs and they do try to run like Sam pointed out stack Spain pick and roll on the they Suns. Use it the a lot. Suns. They don't, they, do. they don't get anything out of it because the Suns are so well trained to defend that. But you'll, this will be no surprise to either of you. Out of every team who played a game one in the second round, the Mavs had the least amount of passes by any team, according to tracking data. They, you know, and it's just no, there's no ball movement. It's a lot of dribbling and it's, and it's just a screen or an isolation, a screen or an isolation and either uh, Luca shoots or the guy who catches it shoots and he doesn't really do much after that compared to the Suns. It's really like the Suns are like this clock moving in unison. All the parts have to move in order for it to work. And, you know, it, it, the, the maps are the opposite of that. And this is, you know, it's funny because we're harping on this, obviously. And this is not to say that they can't win games like this. You know, they can, I, you know, we saw, we've seen it happen with the Rockets in the past. There is a way to win games like this. And it's often just hitting a ton of threes, shooting and hitting a ton of threes. And that is a possibility, especially if the Suns start to, to miss shots. But part of the reason, uh, you know, I, I tend to harp on it is because I just don't like watching it. <laughs> There's no entertainment value uh, to it. And it just makes it uh, annoying to see a team just play like this over and over and over again. You know, it's, it's where Chris Paul came from. You know, he felt free once he got to OKC, a much, much, much worse team, but a team that played real basketball. And then now just seeing the contrast between the Suns and the Mavs, it's difficult for me to watch. And to me, there's even a perspective of it for me where it's like they're making this really great player and Luka Doncic play this style of basketball, which I think he wants to. 
to be yeah. honest. Uh, but I don't enjoy watching it. It feels like wasted potential. Uh, you know, it's just not what I like about basketball. Oh, yeah. I do does, think does does Booker want to lead the league in points for touch or whatever? Probably like I think he does because he <laughs> wants to win. But if it's like an objective, just like straight line question, the answer is no. Like he wants to have the ball more, obviously. Yeah. But he's doing what he needs to do to be able to win. And like I think that's the next adjustment for Doncic to come in his career with the coach that he has. If that's Jason Kidd, if that's someone else, I don't know. But just in terms of the stylistic way that they play, I think they're really running into a wall right here. Yeah. And and I just don't know where they where they really go. Sam, you had something else to say? Well, no, I just I think a huge difference, you know, you talk about this team compared to the Rockets. Uh, like that that amazing Rockets team that obviously pushed Golden State. And a big difference between now, 2022, versus then, that kind of 2016 through 2018 period, and these teams existed even before then. Back then, we were still kind of in... Moriball was this fresh idea. There was still a lot of fat uh, that had to be trimmed out of the league, so to speak. A lot of kind of players who were bygones from a from a previous era who you know the the time had passed them by or whatever you know the the stretch fours who can't actually defend the um the 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 fives who can't actually space the floor or defend you know a lot of players who kind of had to be cut out of the league as teams gradually understood that mori ball was a philosophy that they wanted to embrace and gradually raise their respective true shooting percentages or whatever so that was 2016 2017 Houston realizes that they can be the only team that goes out there and shoots 43s a game this way while also pairing those role players with a phenomenal, phenomenal heliocentric offensive player. And they can blow teams out that way. Fast forward to 2022. Now that everyone is doing it to an extent, and not everyone obviously does it to an extent that the Rockets ever did. But now that everyone has, you know, like at least three switchable wings as part of their wing rotation somewhere who can shoot corner and wing threes. And maybe they don't take... 53s per game but everyone's taken at least 30 maybe 35 it's harder to find the margins to actually be exceptional at playing that style of basketball anymore and you look at dallas and they're not exceptional they're good at at playing this style and they can as again you know as we continue to reiterate they can certainly win games this way but it's really really hard to construct your team in that fashion and be anything other than mediocre to good it's it's just really hard for it to be revolutionary anymore when kind of the entire league has already embraced it and squeezed all of the uh, the the progress out of that movement and is now looking for new things that they can innovate on. So yeah, Dallas. I mean, they just that's that's just kind of what it is, man. I, <laughs> do you guys want to talk yeah. about game two adjustments now, or because we <laughs> yes, have harped, yes, on, yes. The, okay, so we have harped one, on it for a while? <laughs> yes, I, I have one more thing that that plays into this point and will transition us into the next one. How many assists do you think guys not named Jalen Luca or Spencer had on the Mavericks last night? How many total assists that weren't Brunson, <laughs> Dinwiddie, or Luca? Based on the number of passes that I did look up, I'm guessing it's low. Uh, maybe two? <laughs> I'm looking at the box score, and I think the funnier thing is... <laughs> well, yeah. go ahead, Gallon. Go ahead. Well, well, it's one, and the one <laughs> assist is Frank Nielakina, which was, is where yeah. we get to game two adjustments, because I made a joke on here. That I was like, I wonder what game we see Frank Nielakina because they have no one to guard Chris Paul and Devin Booker except Dorian Finney-Smith, who can't guard both of them at the same time. Sure enough, Jason Kidd throws him out there for two minutes uh, in this game. But game two adjustments, I'm just going to call this pigeon watch because already it looks like Davis Bertans and, and Josh Green are going to be trouble for the Mavericks whenever they're on the floor. Bertans was just – he is so slow. It's it's just hard. Well, I don't know how else to say it, but there was that drive Oh yeah. Go ahead. Yep. No, you're you're going right for it, man. Jay Crowder shook him 
on a move that Jay Crowder has no business shaking anyone no. with a basic with a basic fake and then got his uh, signature floater. Yeah, it was tough. And the Bridges dump off to McGee too was just Bertans had a closeout on him, but I don't even know what to call it. He just kind of moved over there and then stopped moving. It wasn't even a closeout. Uh, and then Josh Green, so, some people picked up on the defensive wrinkles this morning. I, I thought I was seeing something and then like smarter people describe what it is I'm seeing. And, and that always helps me is basically that Josh Green being on the floor allows DeAndre Ayton to be out of like the central uh, actions. So then from a switch perspective, you're not getting Doncic on a big and you're not making the big move out. So you can crash bus, like all the kind of benefits of that weren't really coming on the sun's end guys. Uh, JaVale McGee was picked on quite a bit, especially at the start of that first half. That's really what got Kleba going out of the, out of the first quarter. They ran their first uh, set in the second quarter to make McGee move off the bounce or not, sorry, on his feet. Uh, and it did not go well. Kleba was able to get open do you guys think that it's time already for the Suns to start looking at just going all small there because Kleba's not a guy who has big personalities in terms of a big personality in terms of his offensive rebounding, um, all that kind of stuff. Like they're not going to see any detriment coming there. At the same time, they play with size. They play with JaVale and he's played really well this year. Mike, Mike, what do you think? Well, I'll, I'll be a hundred percent honest. We talked about that before the series even began that it's not really a JaVale McGee series. Having said that, I think we have seen with Monty what he does is he doesn't tend to make adjustments until it stops working. And technically in this game, the Suns won. And, you know, JaVale McGee had some good plays as well. And I think as far as rebounding, I think that if the, look, the point I made on our podcast is truthfully, I think Kleba, you might say, well, he can't keep shooting like this forever, but they're wide open. There's no defense on them at all. So to me, maybe he can keep shooting like this forever if there's no contest at all. So, you know, to me, I would do it. I think for me, the question is even now at this point coming down to whether it should be Ish Wainwright or Tory Craig because Tory Craig's just not been good and Ish Wainwright, I, I don't know. Am I crazy for thinking that Ish Wainwright has played well enough in the regular season to get playoff minutes in a series exactly like this? No, uh, I don't think so. I think he deserves a look, especially with how Craig has kind of looked. He hasn't been as quite Tory Craigy as as we I expected think, coming over in the trade deadline. I think you guys are being tough on Tory Craig, though, Mike especially. But Kellen, I didn't expect you to take his side so easily. <laughs> I, I I know Tory's had his struggles maybe since the trade. We've seen a grand total of what six minutes from him in the in the past like three games combined or, hey, or the Suns like are probably that. outscored by like 15 points in those six minutes though <laughs> I'll look I'll look it up and I don't have time to do it right here live on the podcast but I'll look it up and prove you wrong later because <laughs> I just I don't I mean what what was the situation he got he got checked in for was it one possession in the first half and then they it left seemed him like he was out three. there for rebounding because like he grabbed a rebound with such ferocity where I was like he's out there to grab a rebound um, and then he missed a three and was out of there I wrote Sam but would in, Ish in Wainwright have come... made that three would Ish Wainwright have made that no three? no come on, and, guys. and I would I would look to Craig over Wainwright but I'm saying that I think Wainwright has deserved a look if that's where the coaching staff like kind of has in mind uh, but agreed Agreed. I do think we're going to see JaVale McGee in game two, and I think we might even see him in game three. Monty tends to – he's stuck with campaign for an entire series, and what do you know, it kind of paid off for that little stretch in game five, and then he was really good last night, I thought, as well. He's going to stick with his guys, but it's just a matter of schematically when it starts to give them enough issues. He did mention after the game that he thought they didn't do a good enough job of getting McGee the ball in mismatches. He thought they did against Aiden, but not so much McGee. 
And the number one thing, guys, here with rotations and looking at pigeons and all that kind of stuff, the number one red flag for me for Dallas outside of what happened with their defense was that they played Luca the entire second half. Finney Smith was at 40 minutes. Like, sure, Mikel was at 42, but Chris Paul was at 29. DeAndre was at 33. Crowder was at 28. The Suns had at least like seven or eight game minutes they, they had out there where there were their big three, Aiton, Paul, and Booker were not on the floor at the same time. Bridges was even not out there for some time. And just the way that the Suns played a pretty lax rotation here, like we were in the on a Tuesday night in Detroit in February, um, wow. <laughs> it, it kind of spells trouble here for Dallas. Um, I know Mikel's 42 and, and Booker's 38 is the objection there to the Detroit line, but I mean, no, that's, I, a, I savage, not have, that's a savage way not, of putting it, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kate Cunningham. Hive. I, I apologize. But Luca to play 44, Finney Smith to play 40. It's like you want you want to apply full court pressure to Chris Paul, but Finney Smith's playing 40 minutes. Like he can't do that like Herb Jones did last series. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know really what they do in that case. For the record, I looked it up. Torrey Craig played 42 minutes, minus 21 in those 42 minutes in the playoffs so far. Uh, so not great minutes for him there. But I did think it was interesting. As far as there's two things I want to ask you about. Dorian Finney Smith, they played without a center essentially for the entire fourth quarter. Do you anticipate that they're going to go to that a lot? The point I made online before coming on this podcast is that that puts Luka Doncic essentially in every pick and roll the Suns run because he's the pigeon in that scenario based on the lineups that they can put on the floor. And they're going to run him through the ringer on defense. And then he's going to be carrying the entire load on offense for the entire game. And do you think they start with Dorian Finney-Smith on Chris Paul to hound him full court in the next game? Because I think those two things are the obvious adjustments that they could make, which they did in the second half, uh, that they didn't do in the first half, that maybe they'll look at that run in the fourth quarter and think it went well. I disagree. I think the Suns just stopped doing things that did well, that worked well for them and tried to not get injured. Uh, but do you think that's what they end up doing starting with the next game? Yeah, I think so. And I also think that, the pal point is interesting because it felt like he didn't do anything on the court, but they really like him as a screener. They really like him as a roller. And defensively, he was a guy that Chris was picking on from the starting lineup, though. So that's where I worry in both kind of sectors of that in terms of where they go entirely with Finney Smith and how heavily they go, because that's the big one is like, do they go small with what worked at the end of the game? Like you were mentioning, I don't really know. I don't know how far kid wants to go in terms of extreme adjustments because they are still like they're playing game three at home and that's really where it'll be do it, do or die for them in game three if they're down 2-0. Uh, but for now, I, I think that they have like small little tweaks. And I think that'll be one, right? I think it was telling that with the way Booker was rolling, Mike, that they still kind of made that switch, right? And then put Bullock on him. And as we saw, Booker just drove by him on a dribble drive and dunked mm-hmm. uh, pretty easily on, on his own. Sam, are there any tweaks from the Sun side that you saw? We talked so much about what has to work for Dallas because Dallas was obviously the worst team and it looked like they're really in trouble from a stylistic perspective. But is there something from Phoenix's end that you saw that you would like to see tweaked a bit? Oh, wow. Let's see. Um, Frankly, offensively, I I don't think there's anything. Um, Defensively, I think the only thing you could point at is I think the general strategy on Luca worked and I think they're going to continue to do that but essentially what it means is you're going to continue to throw help defense at Luca put a second man on him zone up around him and then rotate to this point the Suns have done a very very good job with those rotations however as you guys have pointed out as we've all pointed out throughout this episode Dallas can kill you uh in like a single game if they shoot above 40 percent from deep 
And one way that you stop that and one way that you look uh, around a little bit better for that is I pointed out just recently, and actually, Kellen, I think I did see you tweet about this too, how good Dallas has been with uh, their exit screens or their flare screens. And I did talk about this on our uh, our game one recap pod, Mike, as well, um, where they kind of they kind of just have a guy standing there in the corner to open up extra shooters. They did it for Kleba a couple of times um, and it worked. It's a really great way to get some level of movement in your offense, because obviously this is an offense for Dallas that has really struggled to generate any level of sort of advanced ball movement <laughs> outside of like little glimpses that we've seen in moments like that. Um, so for the Suns, it's just about being diligent and it's just about being aware. And I think there's an extra level of focus that they can tap into when it comes to not ball watching on rotations, because you understand that personnel wise, all of the ingredients are there for you to win this series, but you can't allow them to shoot 45, 50% from deep in a game because that could potentially be how they kill you. And then suddenly you go to Dallas, um, theoretically, of course, and the series is, say, tied one-to-one. So it's just about that that extra level of vigilance. I think they're capable of it. I do think swapping out JaVale for someone else would help with that. But I think, you know, it, it kind of falls on everyone, too. Yeah, it was like, it was like a B-minus B performance overall by the Suns, which I think if Dallas people are hearing that, they're probably rolling their eyes and saying, like, how can the team play much better than that? But we saw, like, a lot, a lot of areas where they could get better, like, minimally. I, I think that DeAndre getting the ball more in game two is something that I would like to see because I felt like a lot of his touches were just coming at the results of actions as opposed to things that were run specifically to get him the ball, and that is not what they do. Hashtag feed Aiton, Kellen Olsen, 2022. I'm that guy. I'm in the hive, brother, and I'm not coming out anytime soon. Uh, as you should be, as as we should be at this point. Well, yeah, to your point, Sam, and to what Mike said about him being like the most consistent offensive player, I think in New Orleans, we just saw him really thrive as a primary offensive option when they wanted to look for it for certain stretches of the game. And I was very surprised to not see much of that in this game. Again, it was more of just them running their Spain pick and roll and all, and all those variations that they run through and him kind of being the beneficiary or just the guy who sucked the gravity into open it up for shooters. I think they're like individual moves where, okay, he has on the block against Clay, but 12 feet out double coming. Where is it? We never really saw those kinds of possessions. And I thought we were going to see more of them. And then I echo Sam's thoughts on Doncic. There was a possession in the second quarter that Mike Prada tweeted out where Mikel just kind of was five feet away when uh, Doncic was going at eight and basically saying like, I'm about to come over if you dribble. And so then Doncic swung the ball and that forced like six Suns rotations. They got perfectly. And then it wound up with Doncic, I think, taking a step back three anyway at the end, which is probably what was going to happen eight seconds before that anyway, which was a really funny sequence of events. But I think just doubling Doncic, showing him a little bit more earlier um, and, and zone, I think is a good shout too. Just a couple more looks for him. But that's the thing that I've learned about these playoff series and how, how much we were talking about why the Pelicans weren't trapping Willie Green. It just seems like, there's some real strategy behind saving stuff and not showing everything right away. And I think that they've got some more wrinkles for Luca specifically over the next couple of games to show them for sure. Uh, Mike and Sam, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, please plug away the podcast. You guys are doing it after every game of the playoffs, right? Yep. After every right. game, it's called the timeline of Phoenix suns podcast. Find us on all the podcast apps. You can follow me on Twitter at protected pick and the podcast at the timeline pod, but we are doing post-game episodes, and if they make it to round three, we'll do a preview, of course, of round three. Sam, you have anything else? Uh, at S. Cooper Hoops uh, on Twitter for me if you want to throw me a follow. Thank you, as always, Callan, for bringing us on. It's been a blast.
Yeah, thank you. I would say I would love to come on your podcast now, but now that you have big timers like JJ Reddick on, I'm never coming on again. I fully understand <laughs> that. True. You guys are just Not on true. to bigger and better and greater things. And it was fine. I'm just so generous that you took the time to come on my little podcast. You know, that's just <laughs> so kind of you both. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Like I said, uh, episodes still coming after every game, but the day after now I had a couple people tweeting me and wondering where it was at. Well, if you were to listen to the last podcast and listen to what I said, you would have known you good for nothing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, everyone. We'll be back next time after game two. See ya.